Testing, testing. Testing, testing. Testing, can you guys hear me? You can? Okay, excellent. Good evening. Thanks for being here tonight. Um, Pastor Rickert and his wife Kathy were at the one o'clock service. It was so nice to see them. They send their greetings. Also, if you didn't come to dinner, think about next week at lunch. We're having pork tenderloin, Lutheran potatoes, green beans in a roll. And then at dinner, we're having corned beef uh, for the holiday. So that'll be great. We rise for opening him.
We make our beginning in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Invite the children up. for coming out tonight. So glad you're here. Uh, when you don't tell the truth, what do you what are you doing? Ooh, good, I like that. Wow. That's a whole another upper level answer there. What do we call it when we don't tell the truth? We lie, yeah. Okay. Have any of you lied? Raise your hand. Don't lie. Okay, put your hands down. Have you lied to mom or dad? Oh boy, yeah. You know, we, your parents were watching. Sorry about that. Sometimes we lie, and that's not right. And when we're lying, we're probably making something up because what we truly did was wrong also. So we're doing two things wrong. And that's why Jesus had to go to the cross for us to pay the price for all the bad things we do. And we should try our best to be honest. That's always the easiest to tell the truth. So today you're going to get a glow-in-the-dark cross, some assembly required, took half the day, there were no instructions, but I figured it out. So I want to thank you for coming up and thanks for being here tonight. You must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day, because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. And when I, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. All who seek me 
All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. When I was a kid, I mean, my mom, her back would be to me, and I would be tempted or maybe start doing something wrong, and I'd hear her say, I see that all the time. And she told me over and over again, she had eyes in the back of her head. I looked one day, it wasn't true. But I seemed I couldn't get away with anything. I always got caught, not in lies, but 
and falsified reports, okay? <laughs> the, the word lie and mom doesn't go together, but the falsify something, it sounds a little better. We're in the midst of our Lenten journey talking about what is the evidence for the death and resurrection of Christ. Week one, we looked at outside sources written by non-believers, some of the documents written even before the Gospels were written, that talk about Jesus, that talk about this great teacher, that admit that he was crucified, and some of them even talk about how others were saying he was resurrected. Last week, we talked about the apostolic church fathers. That is the first in generation of those who studied under the apostles. If this was all a lie, how could that lie continue to the next generation? Especially when they had people they could talk to who were actually witnesses to the events. Did you ever ask yourself, I think it's, I, I like questioning the Bible. I think it's human nature. We want to probe a little bit. We want to find out something. Maybe we question it. Paul, he sort of questions it. He's dealing with the Corinthian congregation. Obviously, they weren't believing in the resurrection of the believers. Not of Christ, but of believers. Listen to what Paul says. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have been testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. I love how he phrases that. How true. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, we, out of all people, are to be the most pitied. We're a bunch of suckers who believe in a lie. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Look, it's over 2,000 years since his visit here. His words are still alive and well. And those of the Old Testament that date much earlier, his words are still alive and well. Before we look at the Gospels, I, the Old Testament should infer, should say something, because all of Christ's life is, is based on the Old Testament. There's over 300 prophecies that Jesus, in his lifetime, fulfilled from the Old Testament. And somebody actually did a study, and they counted 574 Old Testament Bible verses that refer directly to the promised Messiah. So there should be a foundation, some hinting about Christ, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. In Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Micah 5, 2, but you, Bethlehem, 
Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Is that a reference to Jesus, who has always been in existence? Jesus would say about Judas, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. At the Passover feast, when they asked Jesus, who is going to betray you? He says, the one I share my bread with. He dipped the bread into the sauce and gave it to Judas. In Psalm 41, 9, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. Psalm 16, 10. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. That is a reference of Christ's rest in the tomb. Isaiah 53, prophesying about the suffering servant. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Prolong his days, is that a reference to life beyond the grave, the resurrection itself? Jonah. Jesus refers to Jonah. You read some of these Old Testament Bible stories, number three seems to be important. Jesus rose on the third day. Jonah, as he's in the belly of the great fish, in my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. From verse 6 of Jonah 2, But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. He's talking about being dead, and he's talking about being alive. And how long was Jonah in the belly of the big fish? Three days. Isaiah 49. He said to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor. God's people is called Israel. But here is a prophecy of a servant who will display the splendor of God. In Exodus 4.22, Moses talking to Pharaoh to let my people go. This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. Isn't it interesting? Israel is the firstborn son of God, and then we have Christ, the firstborn son of God, who goes to the cross. Hosea 1, 11, verse 1, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, they were in bondage in Egypt. God brings them freedom to the promised land. They come out of Egypt. What happens to Jesus as a little baby? Remember, the angel warned Joseph about Herod who wanted to kill this king. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. When Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac, his son, his only son, especially when it's referred to in the New Testament, they, they imply his son, his only son. When he arrived to, at the mountain, Mount Moriah, it was the third day. 
He took his son to sacrifice him on top of the hill. As he lifted the blade, the angel of the Lord, who is Jesus, spoke and said, don't lay a hand on the lad. Then he found a ram in the thicket to sacrifice instead. Especially in the New Testament, it talks about how Abraham believed because God made a promise through Isaac's seed, he'd be a great nation. He believed that God was going to raise Isaac back to life after the sacrifice. At the New Testament, it says Abraham received his son back from death that day. Again, that was the third day. And some would argue this mountain is where Christ himself was sacrificed. We're looking at anticipated events. Things Jesus spoke about that really happened. Jesus, in Luke 19, says, The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. He's talking about the Jewish people. And they're at peace at this time. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, referring to the temple, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Imagine Jesus could be so detailed in a prophecy. Forty years after this, 70 A.D., Rome destroys the Holy Land. They burn down the temple. How can Jesus make such a claim, though, that one stone would be left on another? Oh, it came true. The dome on the temple was gold, and when it was burned down, that gold seeped into the crevices in between the stones, and people broke those stones apart to get the gold. Now, you look at the Old Testament. It was certainly established, established by the time of Jesus. Uh, Job is the first book written. Job is the earliest, and God inspires Moses to write the first five books. But the dating goes from 1500 to 400 B.C. By the time Jesus shows up, the Testament, the Old Testament scriptures are well established. Now, about 400 years go between the last book of the Old Testament written until a gospel is written. Within the gospels, we find many anticipated events that Jesus fought, speaks about and happens. Now, let's just start the first question. Could the gospels be falsified? Could all these writers be lying? Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic. They look at the life of Jesus from the same perspective. And then the Gospel of John is a little different. John was written last. And perhaps John made his a little different because he was aware of the other Gospels. Matthew and John are writ written by eyewitnesses. They're disciples of Jesus. Mark and Luke are not disciples. They're not eyewitnesses. Mark, he may have seen Jesus as a young boy. He's quite a bit younger. But he became a believer. In the book of Acts, we're told his mother opened her house as a church. That's where the congregation gathered to worship. How does Mark come up with all these details about the life of Jesus that are so similar to the eyewitness accounts? Well, he is working ministering with Peter. Peter is telling him all the things that he writes. 
And what about Luke? Luke's not an eyewitness. Luke is an investigative reporter. That's what he does. Luke is a doctor. He's a physician. He's well-trained. He interviews people after the ascension of Christ. Remember, he tells us that beautiful story about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And if you read carefully, he'll write, Mary pondered all these things in her heart. He interviewed Mary. When he talks about the crucifixion of Christ, he admits he wasn't there. He doesn't say that, but he said, the person who told me this is reliable. And what about the two eyewitness accounts? Or even Peter. <coughs> if you were falsifying a story, would you make the disciples or even yourself look foolish, ignorant, or stupid? No, you wouldn't. If you were falsifying the story, imagine Peter telling Mark about these stories. <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe it that day. I sort of yelled at Jesus, and he yelled at me and said, Get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine, Mark, you want me to put that in? <laughs> Peter does, because it's true. If you were falsifying a story, you would make at least your own character look a little better. But they don't. And it's amazing on how much they agree, <coughs> how the stories are there, the same stories. Now you may say, oh, whoa, 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 what about Lazarus? That's a big deal. Lazarus is raised from the grave. Why don't all the Gospels talk about the greatest miracle Jesus ever did? Only John. Oh, John's the last Gospel written. Do you know in the Scriptures, we're told... The religious, so the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. The three Gospels don't contain the story of Lazarus because he's still alive. They're protecting his life. By the time John writes his Gospel, Lazarus is with the Lord. And so he tells the full story. On three different occasions, Jesus plainly and clearly announces his suffering, his death, his resurrection. In Matthew 16, and this account is also recorded in Mark and Luke, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That is plainly stated. In Matthew 17, his second time, also recorded in Mark and Luke. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. In Matthew 20, the third announcement that is very clear, also recorded in Mark and Luke. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the, uh, to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. All these anticipated events became true. 
What are the chances that the religious leaders wouldn't kill Jesus on their own without consulting Rome? What are the chances Rome, even though Pontius Pilate thinks Jesus is innocent, would sentence him to be crucified? What are the chances that he would be crucified at the moment that the lambs are being slaughtered for the Passover feast? That's why John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. What are the chances? Paul, in 1 Corinthians. There were many witnesses. For what I received I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, that's Jesus' half-brother. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. If there are all these witnesses... And if they're lying about these witnesses seeing a resurrected Christ, don't you think they would speak up? Don't you think they would say something, a counter-argument? But we have nothing. And when Jesus indirectly so often refers to his death and resurrection, when the woman at Bethany came to anoint him, Judas becomes upset because it's expensive perfume. Judas says we can spend it on the poor, but Judas doesn't care about the poor. All Judas cares about himself. Jesus said, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And in Matthew 26, we're told, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, already Jesus is talking about a world movement, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And to this day, in memory of her, that story is told. Jesus said in John 13, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus speaking about his death and resurrection. In John 2, the Jews responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words, the words that Jesus spoke. In John 3, 14, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, just as Moses was lifted up by the snake, uh, up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That has to be a reference to the cross. And telling Peter he's going to deny him three times before the rooster crows. What are the chances? And yet it happens. And Jesus had to talk more about his death and resurrection than we realize. He had to say it to more people than just the disciples. After he's dead, after he's crucified, 
The next day, the one day after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples might come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Could the disciples steal the body of Christ? They are a mess at the point of crucifixion. They're all in hiding. They're all afraid. They're in a psychological state that would not even allow them to do that. They didn't even think of it. And look at their amazement at the resurrection. Look at Thomas who had to touch the holes where the nails were. Christ rose from the dead. He not only died for our sins, but he conquered our sins and the grave and Satan and rose again to bring us forgiveness. I think of all the people who don't know about Christ. They have a little more material to share with people. As we question scripture, so question what they believe. Push gently. Arouse curiosity. It must be true. Just on the condition of anticipated events that truly turned out to happen. Especially the most anticipated event, his death and resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
We rise for prayer. 
God, may your light guide us on this day and your spirit bring us peace. May the sacrifice of your son remind us of our dependence on you for all the blessings we enjoy. Let us be aware of the many ways you reach out to help us and let us stand in awe of the power that you use in such loving ways. All this we ask as you have taught us to pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant to you his peace.